Welcome to the Berkhamsted Spotlight, Berkhamsted School's podcast channel. Join our weekly guests from inside the classroom to behind the scenes of our day-to-day activities through to life beyond Berkhamsted School. Find out what it's really like to be part of our remarkable community. So today I'm joined by Hannah Butland, Deputy Head Teaching, Learning and Innovation, and James Cutler, Head of Research and Teacher of English at the school. And they're here to talk to us today about research. And when I say research, I'm talking about staff research, the kind of things to improve their teaching practice. But we're going to speak to Hannah first. Hello, Hannah. How are you today? I'm good, thank you very much, Simon. It's been quite exciting here. Obviously, exams are back, which we haven't had for the last two years. Um, I predominantly teach A-level, so yesterday was Year 13's last day in school. Um, And again, that was really nice to see them writing on each other's shirts and celebrating um, what they're doing. And then today, my inbox is filling up with students asking those sort of last-minute questions uh, you always get at this time. Uh, as they deal with their revision. But um, it's really nice to have a sense of normality back to the school year, I think. Must be quite strange, surely, to see some of the year 13s leave, because on the one hand, you know, it's it's great to see them go off and step into, you know, their, their next venture in their lives. But on the other hand, some of them, I imagine, have been at the school for, for quite a long time. It's It's really the end of a chapter for them, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, some of the students that we have, if they've started uh, in in Stepping Stones, they've done their entire educational career here at Berkhamsted um, from possibly kind of age three or four all all the way through. And so it is quite emotional and you can see that they're quite emotional. And I think it it points to that sort of challenge that teenagers have. On the one hand, you know, they want to stay where they're safe and they're comfortable and the the kind of, you know, moving on seems potentially quite scary and a little bit um, nerve wracking. On the other hand, they're desperate to push those boundaries and to get a bit more independence and to to get off and enjoy the university life they're expecting. So you could kind of see a little bit of that kind of confliction on their faces yesterday. Um, But I think for me, it, it really speaks to the community we have here at Birkenstead that they, you know, they want to be in school on their last day. They they stopped and spoke to teachers and um, wrote thank you cards. And um, my class asked me to have lunch with them. So I sat with them at lunchtime, which was the first time I've done that. And we had a really lovely conversation about what their next few years is going to look like. And, and they told me how much they'd enjoyed the lessons that we'd had. So it's it's a really lovely time of year, this, I think. And a real privilege to experience this from, from a teaching capacity. But do you, do you remember what it was like yourself at this time of, of- of education, you know, coming to the end of sixth form education, even maybe your own last day of, of A-levels. Do you remember that? I, I do, actually. And I think I remember that mix of nervousness about what was coming, both exams and going off to university. I knew that I was going to a university that none of my uh, school friends or, or contemporaries were going to. So I knew I was going to a place where I wouldn't know anyone. But but also, um, you know, it's a nervousness, but also excitement about what was coming. And I mean, I was one of those students that, that actually really enjoyed exams and saw it as a chance to prove what I could do and, and quite enjoyed the challenge. Um, I'm not sure all of my students feel like that but but I, I remember that sense of I kind of want to get going now I want to get them over with I want to show what I could do and and move on to the next stage and I think I think some of our students certainly feel like that I think quite naturally when you reach the age of 18 you uh, are ready for the next step aren't you you're ready to for, for somewhere perhaps a little bit more liberal a little bit more relaxed a little bit of, of a stepping stone towards adult life aren't you yeah I think you're absolutely right James and thank you for that James tell us a little bit about your own education where did you go to school and then where did you go to university after that 
Well, I've done a little bit of a whistle-stop tour of various UK universities, but I went to school in Hereford, uh, a state school called the Bishop of Hereford's Bluecoat School that went up to 16. And then I went to Hereford Sixth Form College to do my A-levels. After that, I went to Aberystwyth University to do uh, a degree in English literature. I then went on to Liverpool University to do an M.Ed. in Victorian literature. Following that, I went to the University of Cambridge, Homerton College, where I did my PGCE. And then finally, I did my PhD at Royal Holloway University of London. So I've had some great experiences of different universities. And my family and friends did uh, ridicule me for a number of years for being the sort of eternal student. But I'm, I'm out of that now. I'm, I'm, it's safe to say. It does sound like you could almost write a book on the, your different experiences here at different places. You really could. Tell me about your, your, your family situation. Are you married? Do you have children? I'm married. I've been married for almost five years and I've got two young children, Clara, who's two years old and Charlie, who's four months old. So at the moment, I'm not getting very much sleep. I have woken up a little bit more now. But when I first came to school this morning, um, I was a little bit bleary eyed, to say the least. I think we were up three times last night. Gosh, two years and four months. I, I, I think we can all, all of us with children at least, can certainly empathise to understand what that's like. Hannah, do you have children at all? I do, yes. Uh, so I have uh, two sons, uh, Hugh, who is eight, and Rupert, who is six. Uh, so I kind of feel like I'm out the other side a little bit uh, now. Um, but I, I definitely sympathise with James. I remember how um, grim that bit uh, can be. Um, but I, I do keep telling him, we, we meet regularly, uh, James and I, so I, I do keep encouraging him that, um, you know, they do eventually learn to sleep and eat properly and, and um, go to the toilet by themselves. And you regain that little bit of independence. I did. Um, I did manage to read the Sunday papers last weekend for the first time in about eight years. So I, f- I feel like I'm winning. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great to hear. And words of encouragement there, James, as well. James, when we're talking about research, what do we mean exactly? We mean a few things. First of all, we mean primary research, which our staff members are carrying out here. So so a a few staff members carry out what's called action research, roughly about six or eight staff members per year. And that involves them identifying a a problem in their classroom. We, We call it the sort of stone in their shoe that's irritating them a little bit. And then they come up with an intervention to try and address that problem. And they track the effectiveness of that intervention over an academic year and then present their findings in in various means. But we also mean um, secondary research, which is essentially reading about other other people's research, so reading the the scholarship of academics in universities or actually other teachers who have undertaken um, action research. So really it's in those two forms that I'm dealing with in my job. And you mentioned about stone in their shoe. I, I love that as an expression, but give us an example of what some of those stones might be. One could be, for instance, that you're teaching a... Uh, sort of boys set um, and you're noticing that there's a lack of motivation there's a lack of intrinsic motivation and sort of whatever you do in the classroom you're struggling to make those boys really embrace a love of learning in your subject and want to learn um, not just to uh, achieve some degree results um, some um, exam results at the end of it and so you would perhaps come up you would perhaps read existing scholarship on motivation and then you would design something to implement in your classroom that you would hope would make um, a positive impact on motivation and then you'd you track the impact of that over the academic year uh, but we there, I mean there have been various stones in there in, in our shoes haven't there perhaps over the over the year so what sort of examples would you 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think we've had um, staff looking at marking. So when mm. we mark work, how, how do we um, ensure that that is as effective as possible? Because marking is something that takes up a huge amount of teacher time. Um, we know from the academic research coming out of universities that feedback that teachers give has a huge impact uh, on student learning. But how do you go about that in the right way? Is it uh, giving them a numerical score? Is it writing feedback? Is it writing questions for them to further consider? How much feedback should we give? If we give too much, uh, maybe they get what we call cognitive overload. There's so much there that they can't actually focus on what they need to do to improve. So quite a few of our action research projects have looked at marking and feedback. We've had a couple, um, in fact, uh, your head of department, the head of English, uh, did one looking at reading dogs. And, um, you know, he had this idea that if he brought his dog into the classroom and students read out loud to the dog rather than to the teacher or to the class as a whole, would that improve their reading abilities when they're reading aloud? So uh, a huge variety of things uh, are done. Uh, Someone's currently looking at handwriting. And uh, obviously, as you know, Simon, we have a lot of digital devices here. So one of the projects is looking at how much handwriting should, ha- should, should occur, what are the benefits for handwriting, where should teachers be encouraging it, where should they be relying on typing, and, and the digital suite of, of applications that we use. So it really covers pastoral care, well-being, uh, and academic as well. I'm smiling when you talk about handwriting just as that last example because uh, I think it's one of those areas where clearly we do less and less of it these days so it's great to to, to see that the staff at Berkhamsted are, are are clearly talking about this and looking into this as, as something to work on with the children but also I think that you know here we are in 2022 given the fact that fewer people are employing their own handwriting and working on that i think that if your if your handwriting is beautiful you can really stand out quite easily to stand out from the masses but james you also mentioned about secondary research tell us a bit more about what that is you mentioned reading others research tell us a a little bit more about that yeah well people might not realize this but there are whole university departments devoted to pedagogy and devoted to education where various professors and academics are carrying out their own studies to try and work out what actually is effective in in teaching whether that's academic teaching or, or pastoral support Unfortunately, a lot of that research is often behind a paywall or it's published in quite dense journal articles. So one of the main places that we go to for secondary research is the Education Endowment Foundation, which is a superb government-funded resource. And what the Education Endowment Foundation does is they will do all of the groundwork for teachers. They will read all of these difficult articles. They will have access to all of those um, academic resources. And then they will synthesize the key points from them and present them in really accessible form. So you can go onto the EEF website and at a glance see what some of the the interventions you can make in teaching to have the the greatest impact. So you can go on there and very easily see, for instance, that metacognition has um, a really important impact on students' progress and students' academic attainment. And if you delve a little bit deeper into their resources, you can start to read summaries of, of the major studies that have allowed the EEF to come to those conclusions. So for teachers who are perhaps a little bit time poor and for schools that perhaps can't afford to subscribe to the academic journals, it means you can have access to some of the latest cutting edge research really easily and for free. 
James, all of this to me strikes me as the kind of thing that happens today in some schools, but probably didn't happen in the past. I'm just thinking back to when when I was at school, when the people listening to this were at school, maybe in the 80s and 90s. You know, I don't know to what extent this kind of thing happened. Maybe it maybe it did happen and we didn't know about it. Maybe it's only happening now and it's a relatively new thing. Tell me. Yeah, I think it's unfair to say that teachers didn't ever engage with academic research because I think it is something that has been happening certainly for the last perhaps 30 or 40 years. But I think really since 2015, it's become much more mainstream in schools. And I think there's a, a correlation there between um, a, a new government coming in, um, a, a, um, a secretary, for a minister for education wanting to make secondary education more rigorous and then sort of turning to what, what, what will work in the classroom, what, what actually is effective in the classroom, whereas before I think many teachers were floundering and relying on anecdotes or things that had been passed down through the generations in their staff room or perhaps were being quite activity-led instead of, instead of research and learning-led. So tell us a little bit then about what the, what the fruits of this work is. You know, how does it actually impact the work that the staff at Berkhamsted do on a, on a day-to-day level? Well, I think... Hannah, you'll you'll be more qualified to to talk about this given your position in, on senior management. But um, I understand that you, you'll be, senior management is absolutely research driven, and actually, you're often uh, turning to me to try and source you some of the latest ideas relating to feedback and assessment, or tutoring, or um, metacognition, and then you try and implement that into whole school policies, don't you? So, I mean, two that spring to mind that you might want to talk about are metacognition and assessment. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I mean, I think there are the two levels to this. You know, I think I've said before in one of these uh, podcasts, T. Simon, that, that Berkhamsted is one of the most innovative schools I've worked in. And I think one of the things that allows that is, at, as Jane says, at management level, when we're talking about what changes we want to make, whether that's to uh, testing or, or marking policies or, or what the curriculum should look like, our first step is always to go to the academic research being done at, in the universities. What do the, the experts say is the best model for a curriculum, is the best model for, for feedback? So it is a very research-driven school in that sense. But then at a lower level, part of my job and part of James's job is to get that research out to our teachers, perhaps summarising it, picking out what we think are the really important nuggets that would improve their practice and encourage encouraging them to engage with that research and so that every classroom is informed by by what's being done in those universities. And there are quite a few ways that I I do that in my job, aren't there? So um, a few that spring to mind are we have a half-termly journal club where about 15 or 20 staff members meet. I've distributed a piece of research in advance and and we sit around for an hour after school talking about it, evaluating it and linking it to our teaching practice. This year, I've started doing something called pedagogy postcards, where once a half term, I try and distill a research paper or a research chapter onto a postcard and and distribute it to all staff members' pigeonholes. And there's even a QR code on it, which they can scan, and that will take them to the actual article if if they want to follow it up. But I think the, the main thing we do, and perhaps the thing I'm most proud of in my job, is our annual research journal. Um, which is a beautiful, glossy publication, which our graphic designers work on to make it look really professional. And that goes out once an academic year. 
And in it, we feature write-ups of all the staff action research projects. We feature um, a couple of students each time who have undertaken research, whether through an EPQ, an extended, extended project qualification, or uh, whether some research themselves into education. And in the last couple of years, we've started approaching academics to write for us as well, just to try and boost the academic rigour of it. And we've been really fortunate to have Dr. Roland Chaplin from the University of Cambridge, who wrote a piece, and Dr. Cathy Weston, who, who wrote for the most recent issue. And that being launched at the beginning of an academic year means that it's sort of around the school all year and, and you see staff dipping in and out of it and talking about the articles and, and you can see then it having a bit more of an impact. Gosh, it's incredible. You know, the more you're talking about this, the more I realise there's so much to this that I, that I never understood beforehand and uh, hearing things like pedagogy postcards when I got up this morning that's not a phrase I was expecting to hear today so it's great it's great to hear that right now <laughs> tell me a little bit about how you encourage teachers and students for that matter to engage with with all of this research so so I think you know the, the things that James has just done is one way in you know making it as easy as possible for them to do it but we talk about the research you know that's often the why um if anyone's read the kind of Simon Sinek leadership book start with why why are we doing something I think here at Birkenstead it's why are we doing something it's nearly always the answer to that question is nearly always because it's in the best interests of the students that we teach and that is informed by the research and so that that trickles down so that that that's the why um, at management level, but also an individual physics teacher planning a lesson tomorrow lunchtime. You know, we encourage them to think, okay, what is the best way that I can teach this group of children who are going to be in front of me on Monday morning, this particular topic? What does the research say about how I can best teach them? And so that really clear why that research led um, in the best interests of the students drips through every lesson uh, that's taught here at Instead. And so research is mentioned in all of our teacher training days, our inset days. As James says, kind of postcards being put in people's pigeonholes. There's a fortnightly teaching and learning briefing that goes out to all staff here in the senior school, where again, I kind of try and take three key things about teaching and learning that I'd like people to focus on for the next two weeks. It might be I'm recommending a book that I've just heard about and I'd like a, you know, a couple of teachers to read it and review it. It might be um, a kind of the summary or an abstract of a, of a journal article that's been published. So trying to get this research into people's pigeonholes, into their email, getting them to talk about it in the staff room. Um, I think, again, that's a really lovely thing here at Berkhamstead. You overhear teachers talking about pedagogy and how you teach and how students learn in the best way. That's informed from the research, which I think is, is great. Hannah, you mentioned there about making a book recommendation. If there was a one book recommendation you, you needed to make for a parent to read, what might that be? Oh, that's a great question. There are loads. Actually, one that I, I would re recommend myself is one that we give to um, a lot of our uh, learning leaders. And we actually also give it to every member of new staff that starts with us. So all the all the teachers starting this in September gets, get, get a copy in June. Um, and that's called Learning How to Learn by Barbara Oakley. And the reason I'd recommend this is, as James said, some of the research can be really quite dense. And this isn't dense at all. And But it is very much linking behavioural psychology psychology and neuroscience with education. And Barbara Oakley um, is, is really inspiring. Um, she was someone who struggled with maths and physics throughout her time in school and yet ended up becoming 
becoming a professor of engineering because she learnt how to learn well and, and she knew she had to tackle the things that she wasn't very good at. And so she developed some really good strategies. Um, and the book is written for students. And I think that's what makes it quite special is that some, as, as we said, some of this research can be quite heavy going. But I think it's a great book for parents to read if you've, if you've got a teenager in particular at home who's struggling to be motivated or is saying, I, I don't want to revise or I don't know how to revise, this book gives you some lovely metaphors and some analogies to use to talk about how learning happens, what changes happen in the brain when you start to learn new things and remember new things. It's one that I've recommended to actually quite a few of my friends who've got older children. And, and as I said, we, we encourage our sick formers and our staff to read it as well. So if, if parents want want something it's learning how to learn by barbara oakley fantastic i might check that one out myself actually for my own children uh james how about you any recommendations as an english teacher you might expect me to recommend a book but i'm actually going to recommend a, a website a, a, a resource that we have as a as a school subscribed to which parents have access to it's it's kathy weston's resource tooled up education and it's a fantastic bank of all sorts of written um, research but also uh, podcast star research. So what Kathy Weston has done really brilliantly is she has managed to contact all sorts of experts in, in different fields in education. So you, you've got a well-being expert, you've got a, um, a feedback expert, you've got a cognitive science expert, for instance. And she has recorded similar podcasts of her in conversation with these experts. And there's, there's just a wealth of material on there, I think, for parents. For instance, I, I, uh, I recently just searched in, into it, in, into the programme uh, exams, given that we're in exam season and, and parents might be quite interested in how best they can support their children at the moment. And there were sort of three or four pages of material relating to exams linked to sleep. Um, there was something in there on revision strategies, something in there on how to prepare for exams from the very beginning of, of your GCSE. So that, that's where I would suggest parents go. But I did notice actually last night um, that a new book has come out, which I haven't read yet, but it's, it's written by Professor Stuart Keim from the Education Endowment Foundation. He's actually co-founder and director, and it's called What Every Parent Should Know About Education. And its, it's sort of strap line is how knowing evidence can help the child succeed. So it's quite a reputable author, and it's, it's very recently been published, and that could be one to check out as well couple of great recommendations there and if anyone's listening and wants to find out more about tooled up education it's tooledupeducation.com that's the website to go to it is so i was just going to give us another plug in terms of our own research journal if i was going to recommend something and i was just going to say that if parents or anyone you know either existing parents or prospective parents are listening and they they think oh i'd quite like to have a look at that um they can drop james or i an email and we can send them uh, a pdf version mm. of that research journal so i, I know it's it's a bit crass to to publicize your own journal but I think you know, that is a really good recommendation if you want to find out a little bit more about what we're doing here at Berkhamsted um, and what that looks like in our, in our classrooms. I think that's a great thing to do. And if, of course, if anyone's got any questions at all about anything they've heard, then I imagine they can contact you through the same channels and, and ask any questions at all. Hannah, what is the best email address to use? Yeah, so, so like all Berkhamsted email addresses, it's initial surname at berkhamsted.com. So just get in touch with us directly. So hbutland at berkhamsted.com or jcutler at berkhamsted.com. And uh, we'd be happy to share share what we what we know. Um, James has actually emailed some parents this week of those exam classes recommending a women's hour from BBC Radio 4 who uh, 
did some good research and some a good interview with a psychologist from Great Ormond Street Hospital uh, about how to manage the stress that some parents might have at home at the moment with students. So um, if you are a Birkenstock parent, do look out for that because uh, that would also be a good recommendation. Awesome. Well, look, thank you very much. Thank you for being here, Hannah and James. And thanks for opening up this whole world of research. It's, it's a completely new world to me and quite possibly a new world to the people that are listening. But thank you for your time. Very, very, very much so. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much, Simon. So that's it for this episode. To find out more, check out the school's website, berkhamstead.com. And our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.